God be glorified in this place today. <clears throat> and in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so... Um, you guys, after reading this chapter and praying over what the Lord would have for our body this week, I just keep coming back time and time again to the fact that Paul is in chains for Christ. His pursuit of Jesus has, has, has um, brought him into circumstances that have landed him to be in chains. To see where Paul is now, I want to go back to the beginning um, of this series of events that lead him to write this letter to the church in Philippi. Uh, from house arrest in Rome. So it starts in chapter uh, 21 of Acts when Paul is in Jerusalem. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to kind of blow through the cliff note version of this. But um, <clears throat> Paul's in Jerusalem and begins to tell a crowd of people about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and about his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. The Jews don't like what he is saying, so they start to they drag him out in the street and start to beat him um, and try to kill him. And the Jews tell a commander of the Roman soldiers uh, he's guilty, but, but they don't have anything to charge him with. So, um, they just don't like that Paul speaks about Jesus Christ as the, as the Messiah. So, um, the Roman guards arrest Paul uh, to get him away from the mob and, and kind of sort things out. And because of a plot to murder Paul, that night the guards take Paul um, over to Caesarea. He's in jail for two years in Caesarea and keeps getting passed down the line because nobody wants to make the Jews mad. So he's just, he's just stuck here. And eventually Paul appeals to Caesar so he doesn't have to go back to Jerusalem. And, and so they set sail for Rome and encounter a storm that lasts 14 days. And the result is they become shipwrecked. Uh, Paul and the guards end up on an island called Malta for three months and then set sail again on, on a boat that was wintered there, set sail for Rome. Uh, and once they finally get to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a Roman soldier to guard him. And so this isn't, isn't just like your average jailer. This, is, um, this, was, an imperial, this was an imperial guard, um, the elite of elite Roman soldiers. So Paul has, in most cases, uh, house rest. They're just handcuffed to these soldiers 24-7. And so, so Paul's beaten. He's almost killed. He's sent and changed to Caesarea, kept in prison for two years, sent up to Rome on a ship that gets wrecked on, an, and they spend three months on an island. And he finally gets to Rome, now handcuffed to like the Arnold Schwarzenegger of Roman guards. And while he waits to plead his case to Caesar, um, he's just he, he's not sure if he's going to hear a verdict of, I mean, he's, he's facing life and death, so, so he's, just, he's just hanging out, waiting. So just the stress is, is 
is starting to build up. Um, but he's rejoicing and exhorting the church in Philippi in his letter. He's, he's just unfazed by anything that just seems to come his way. And so this week I just, just why is that? Like, like what, what is, what is, why, why is he just constantly rejoicing in his situation? So there's, there's a lot of things to talk about um, in chapter 1. Paul has history with this church that goes back to Acts chapter 16 where Paul and Silas first meet Lydia who receives the gospel and the church began to form. They were beaten on that trip and thrown in jail and because they casted out a demon in a slave girl whose owners used her for fortune telling to make their living. And so they're pretty upset that she can no longer tell fortunes. So uh, Paul and Silas were thrown in jail, and, and when they're in jail, they're, they're, they're singing about midnight, I think it says, singing and praying to the Lord, and all of a sudden an earthquake happens, and, and the doors of the prison, I'm sure you guys have heard the story, the doors of the jail cells open, and, and they're, they're just, everybody leaves, except for Paul and Silas. And, and so as a Roman guard, when, when you're, prisoner gets away you you pay the penalty of death for them escaping and so so the roman guards all these guys have left and they're just like oh my he's just he's down and he's ready to kill himself and and paul says um says to him to believe in the lord jesus christ and he'll be saved and so so the jailer accepts christ and and they and takes him back to his house and cleans their wounds and 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 was added to the church and so their first trip just some of the monumental things in their first trip uh, to Philippi and um, so so because of their history and love for one another their church had sent Paul an offering while he was under house arrest in Rome and he thanks them for ha- that here in, in the beginning of chapter one. However, the bigger picture for me is, uh, and I think what the Lord would have for us here in chapter 1, is that Paul is rejoicing while he's in chains. He shares um, some reasons for that in verse 6. He says, And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And he's exhorting the Philippians here, but but he also believes this word... um, this word of God is for himself. And, and he rejoices in God's promise. And, and so Paul goes on to say in 12 and 14 that, um, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. And to all the rest, that my imprisonment is for Christ. And now, or excuse me, and most of my brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are now more bold to speak the word without fear. So he's rejoicing that the suffering is furthering the gospel. That people are becoming bold and speaking the word without fear. He's also remember, he is also, remember you guys, he's also in chains in, 
chained to a Roman soldier, and, and while under house arrest, instead of sulking, he, he, he rejoices that he has a captive audience. I mean, literally. Like, the guys are hand, can't get away from Paul. He's just preaching Jesus to these guys all day long, and they can't get away. And, and so then they do a shift change, and, and then he just starts in on the next guy. And so he's rejoicing that, that it's, it starts to be known through the whole imperial guard. And, and, um, and he rejoices in that. He's, he's not looking at his own situation. He's, he's, he's saying, this is, this is good. 15, I'm going to skip down to 15 and verse 15 and 18. It says, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Even when he hears that people are preaching the gospel from envy and rivalry to make Paul frustrated and his time in house arrest may be more difficult, Paul is rejoicing. See, there isn't, there isn't heresy being spoken. The gospel is being preached. And even though some of the motives aren't pure, the gospel message is still being presented in a way that helps lead people to the salvation in Jesus. So Paul rejoices in that. He doesn't care what's happening to him. He cares that the gospel is being advanced and Jesus is being proclaimed. Verse 19 goes on to say, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So whether he lives or dies, while in chains, he has Jesus as king over his life. Nothing else matters to Paul. He gets to live like Christ or die and be with Christ. So he rejoices in that. And he doesn't fall victim to his, to his circumstances. Even when his circumstances uh, are life or death. I mean, you just can't, you can't knock this guy down. And I, I just, I, reading them, just like, why, what is, why is Paul rejoicing? I mean, when, when was the last time you rejoiced because your car didn't start and you didn't have breakfast because you're already late for work and it's Monday morning and you didn't get all the things done this weekend that you wanted to get done because you were tired and the weekdays are too long and the weekends are too short and now your spouse is calling because you forgot to take out the trash and she's got a two-page list of stuff to pick up at the grocery store before you come home to crying kids and things that you remember you didn't get done last weekend. 
When was the last time you said, amen, hallelujah? I would love to do that, honey. How is Paul able to rejoice in his trials and not fall victim to his circumstances? I mean, Paul had an encounter on the road to Damascus with Jesus in Acts chapter 9, where, we, where Jesus blinds Saul, who later was called Paul, same guy, um, and says to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He got to hear and talk to Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. He was chosen by Jesus to be an apostle. I mean, it'd be, it'd be easier to believe Jesus and not fall into the desires of my flesh if I had that type of encounter with Jesus. If I had the interaction that Paul had, I, I, I would probably rejoice too, right? I mean, you guys, it's easy to read this chapter and see Paul is faithful and see he rejoices in his sufferings and think, I need to be more like Paul. But, but don't hear that. Don't hear that from me. Paul, Paul isn't the hero in this story. Paul, Paul's just a sinner. Just, he's just like us. He's an average guy that sins. He, he isn't some superstar you got to have on your fantasy football team. So, so how do we rejoice in our trials? How do we not fall victim to our circumstances? We believe Jesus is who he says he is. We believe the Bible is true. If God says it, we, we do it. The words in here aren't, aren't, to, aren't to pick and choose from or to worry about who it's going to offend or if it will make us look weird or uncool in front of someone. It's the living word of God and it's where we find hope. It's where we find truth. And it teaches us to rejoice in our suffering. If God said it, Paul believed it. And we can believe it too. Paul could have easily said, well, you know, actually, I didn't get a walk with Jesus and learn from him like the original 12. Uh, or Jesus didn't wash my feet. I can't believe those, I can't believe Jesus, I can't believe God like those other guys. My faith can't be that strong. 
whether you were one of the disciples that walked with Jesus, someone who was healed by Jesus, someone who just encountered Jesus in the flesh, or someone who just found out about Jesus today, and you have been born again. You have the power to believe and rejoice in your sufferings. I want to turn to um, John chapter 20. and <clears throat> So right here, Jesus has appeared to the disciples after his crucifixion. But Thomas, one of the, one of the twelve, wasn't there. And so we pick up in verse 24. And it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the marks of the nails, and place my hands into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came in and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. And see my hands. And put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord, my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. We rejoice in our suffering, not because we see God. But because we believe Him. If you're a follower, follower of Jesus the place you find the power to rejoice in sufferings is the same place Paul found his. It's the same power that resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead. The same power that is given to the Holy Spirit to testify to truth. is the same holy power of the creator of the universe 
It's the power of God. Do you, do you believe in that power? Jesus tells us in John 14, 12, that truly, truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Jesus is talking about sending us the Holy Spirit. He gives us access to the power of God. Jesus tells us in John chapter 7, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from him. You guys, I'm not I'm not talking about a belief in Jesus that saves us. talking about knowing the power of God that takes us to a place where we rejoice no matter what. No matter the, what the circumstances are. Are, are you there? Are, are, are you, have you found that place? Have you found that power? You're in a place where you can rejoice even though circumstances put you in situations that are miserable. I've struggled this week in the text. Um, Just knowing that, that that I fall into a place that my flesh is controlled by my circumstances. <clears throat> I, I don't rejoice in my sufferings. I get frustrated. <laughs> I get mean, I get loud, I get hurtful, I get isolated. I don't I don't know the power of God that allows me to rejoice when situation after situation goes wrong time and time and time again. I want to rejoice in suffering. I do. 
I want to grasp eternity with Jesus. And I want to not fall victim to my circumstances. I think you can be saved and not know the power that I'm talking about in our text. I think there's a depth of relationship that brings us to a place where we can't do anything but rejoice. Because by God's grace, we grasp an understanding because, that because we are saved into Jesus, the only option is to rejoice. I came into, in, into this week preparing and wanting to, wanting to teach the body what the Lord would have for us in the text. And Last night as I'm trying to wrap it up and get it together, what actually happened was the Lord had taught me what I'm missing. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. want to seek the Lord. He has, he gives the power to rejoice in sufferings. It's where it comes from. going to have the, the worship team come up uh, and and also I want to have uh, we're going to have the core group leaders that are still here um, be available up front for prayer and if you guys need prayer I, I invite you to come come down step out in faith and Come forward, seek the Lord.
walk in obedience. Just believe, just believe God is who He says He is. Believe He can take you to places you've never been. Because maybe like me, there's some of you today that struggle to rejoice in suffering. Maybe you're suffering today. And need God's help to rejoice. His grace is sufficient for all of us.